Hello, everybody. My name is John Mark Day, and I serve as the Director of Leadership and Campus Life at Oklahoma State University. I'm also happy to be your host for the NASPA Leadership Podcast, presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. This episode, we're talking with a couple of the editors for the spring 2019 issue of New Directions for Student Leadership, which is all about leadership learning through activism. We've got two of those editors with us today, uh, Georgiana Martin and Brittany Williams. I'm very excited to have both of them here. Dr. Georgiana L. Martin is Assistant Professor in College Student Affairs Administration in the Department of Counseling and Human Development Services at the University of Georgia. Her research interests include social class identity and experiences of low-income first-generation college students, campus activism, and the impact of out-of-class experiences on college outcomes, including socially responsible leadership and sociopolitical activism. Previously, she's worked in a variety of student affairs functional areas in higher education, including leadership programs, residence life, fraternity sorority life, and student conduct. Welcome, Georgiana. Thank you, glad to be here. And our second guest is Dr. Brittany M. Williams. She is a recent graduate of the University of Georgia College Student Affairs Administration Program and will be joining St. Cloud State University as an assistant professor of higher education in the fall. Her research and advocacy interests include issues of social class, black women and girls career development and progression, identity development, problems of sexual health and HIV AIDS, as well as forms of activism and activism engagement. She's a co-founder of the award-winning hashtag SiteAssista digital counter community and one of five founding members of hashtag SisterPhD. Brittany previously served in career services and residence life. Uh, welcome, Dr. Williams. Thank you so much. <laughs> Glad to be here. And congratulations on your recent graduation. That's, uh, that's really exciting. Thank you. <laughs> Well, so, so for both of you, this is a really interesting topic, and the issue is fascinating about this idea between connections between uh, student activism and leadership and what all of that means for our students, but it can be a very personal issue. So for both of you, if you'll let me know, where did your interest in student activism start from? And Georgiana, why don't you, why don't you answer that first? Sure, sure. Um, I think it first started for me um, the year after I graduated from undergrad. Um, I spent a year volunteering um, in a, a very impoverished area in Philadelphia. Uh, and, and this is the year after I finished college, but before I went on to pursue my master's degree. Um, and I used to describe it as this is going to age me a little bit, uh, but like the real world, the show on MTV, sure, um, sure. the start of reality TV. Um, it was, I used to describe it as like the Catholic real world. So like there were a group of volunteers and we all lived in a house and we did a number of like basically social service kinds of things in the community in Philly. Um, so that was my full-time job that year. And we had services out of our house, like folks would come in off the streets, they would take showers, they would have lunch. And then each of the volunteers in the house had other assignments in the community uh, based on our interests. So that was my first real exposure to like the systemic nature of poverty, the systemic nature of racism, um, uh, and, and my first exposure to other people who were activists. I grew up in Mississippi and I didn't really see a lot of activists growing up, um, but being in this volunteer community, we were then connected with other volunteer communities and, and it was a very heavy activist um, group. So some of that, spirit of activism, I think, were off on me. Uh, that was the first year I ever went to a protest. Um, so that was a very unique experience uh, to have. Um, and, and so I think just, you know, becoming passionate about an issue and working to change it, like that simple idea uh, resonated with me. And that was at the core of, of the work we were doing. Wow. So your activism started when you stopped being polite and started getting real is what you're, is what you're <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's a true story. <laughs> well, Brittany, how about you? How did you come to this work? 
Uh, I was the quintessential disruptive student in undergrad. <laughs> so, uh, my former undergrad president at, at his last fundraising meeting for our institution told the story of how, you know, I'm on our alumni board and how I was one of the students leading the pack uh, to stage a sit-in in his office, right? And so a lot of what is important to me about student activism is the fact that I was able to engage in Black Lives Matter and it's bigger than you and hands up, don't shoot and all of these things as an undergrad and graduate student. And then moving into my doctoral program and thinking about where do I fit in the higher ed and student affairs world? What do I want our field to become? And creating Site Assistant and Sister PhD as a way to say, we need to create more space for black women. We're going to do that through digital counter communities and digital counter spaces. And it's going to be student driven. So no institution can try to withhold funding or try to dictate how we make decisions and, and engage in our activism and sort of support processes. So a lot of it for me was, was simply coming into my own identity. I mean, I'm a, a daughter of the South. I'm from the city of Atlanta. It's the center of black protest, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so if we think about, you know, the 1964 sort of contemporary, like, or historical civil rights movement, and even the contemporary civil rights movement, a lot of that was shifted through the city of Atlanta. So my roots and who I am as a scholar, as a person has always been sort of aligned with activism. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, so I, I, I think that's really interesting, particularly reflecting on our own experiences and our, and our own journeys. So thinking about for you, Brittany, as this, you, ha you had this experience, this journey through your own activism, was there an aha moment for you where you sort of connected activism, both yours and what, and what you saw other students engaged in, with this idea of leadership development? So... I think a lot of it clicked for me when I was serving as a career advisor uh, and career consultant, right? And thinking about my work around career development, it is utterly exhausting <laughs> trying to get a bunch of millennials to do something that does not involve their cell phones, right? And I say this as a person who loves digital activism, but the amount of time and labor and energy it takes to organize a teaching, to do a day of learning, to coordinate a walkout, to get students to, to put a concerted effort into reaching out to their state legislature, those are skills that you need. And those are a form of leadership development because it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of figuring it out. It's a lot of knowing how to talk to people the right way and when and how and where to say different things. And to whom do you say something, right? So if I'm talking to the university president, I might send someone who's able to speak more of that language who's a part of our student activist group versus the person who might be more militant and is more able to sort of rouse the troops, if you will, on the ground and able to get the student body more interested in whatever it is that we're talking about. And so that aha moment happened for me when I was talking to students as a career consultant at the University of Georgia and they're talking about the ways that they're doing all of these things on campus. And I'm like, well, wait, these are skills that are transferable into a job and, and you've been a student leader through your activism. Let's figure out how we put that on a resume and let's figure out how we show that translating into something useful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what about you, Georgiana? Was there there's some, uh, uh, a tipping point for you in understanding activism and its connection to student leadership? Uh, yes, certainly. Um, so, you know, I think I, I talked about um, just sort of that interest in activism coming when I, after undergrad, and then many years later, <laughs> I think is when, when it sort of I, I made the connection with leadership. Um, as, as a, a doc student, um, I was at the University of Iowa and was working on the Wabash National Study on Liberal Arts Education. Um, one of the outcomes that the Wabash study measured of uh, socially responsible leadership and um, we used, uh, it was called the Socially Responsible Leadership Scale, uh, the revised version of that. And that particular scale is based on the social change model. Um, and so, you know, as I was learning more about, I, I had already been familiar with the social change model from my time as a, as a student affairs professional. Um, so that model already resonated with me. Um, but then I think actually seeing the word socially responsible and leadership together and, and learning how that particular instrument was developed based on this model, um, it, it really sort of started to connect that the goal was so, it really started to connect um, 
that, that, that these things just made sense, right? So if you think about um, the goal of the social change model, right? Um, and, and I sort of now use, I'll use socially responsible leadership as sort of synonymous, but knowing that that's based on that model, but the goal of socially responsible leadership is working for social change, mm-hmm. right? And that's exactly what my experiences with activism had been. You know, so, so I sort of had those experiences and then years later, it, it all of a sudden clicked, right? That this is the exact same thing you were doing. You just weren't thinking about it in terms of leadership. So mm-hmm. I think being exposed to the social change model um, helped sort of the midpoint of my thought on that, but then actually starting to do the research and using that particular model, um, that particular instrument, the socially responsible leadership scale based on the social change model, that was sort of that, that was the linchpin that sort of made all the pieces come together for me. Yeah, interesting. It's, yeah, I, I love those moments where you've been engaged in, in the work and in the practice, and then you're able to sort of take a step back and say, oh, here's this thing that's going to help all of these come together and have all of these make sense. It's exciting when that happens. I'm actually... Right, and it, it really was all three. Sorry, Brittany. Yeah, no, it, it really was all of those things. Yeah. It's just so funny to me that you worked on Wabash because I participated in it as an undergrad, and... Now being a researcher, knowing what it is and, and how I contributed to that, but I was totally there for the money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you were not alone. <laughs> I mean, I'd imagine that's why it was there. That's why you do those incentives, right? And and um That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I like to think we all have opportunities to grow and mature and, and reflect on uh the, exactly the things <laughs> we've done in the field. So <laughs> look before we dig into this content of uh, leadership and activism. I want to get to know you all just a little bit better. And so I like to ask everybody I have on the podcast to tell me about what they are watching or listening to or reading sort of outside of what we think of as the traditional leadership canon that's giving them some good insights into leadership right now. So uh, Brittany, why don't you, you start and tell us what you're thinking about. Ah, yikes. <laughs> so I'm I'm super into the good place, right? And that's oh, a show yes. shifting how I'm thinking about not only leadership and activism, but decision making processes and how do we come to our decision making processes. Uh I'm a huge fan of grownish, so uh doing quite a bit around how are we talking about college in the contemporary moment in sort of the public sphere and what does that look like and what does that mean as an offshoot from grownish and from folks who maybe are watching the show but aren't actually engaged in the collegiate environment hmm. so i think those things have definitely given me some some stuff to think about as it relates to to leadership right now uh i'm binge watching old shows <laughs> I've been in my doc program for so long. I have not watched TV for so long that I'm actually watching a lot of old shows that I either missed the endings of or while being in school or, or working or whatever I had going on. And so One Tree Hill, uh, which is a might I add, uh, <laughs> is something I'm binge watching and it's really making me think about leadership. I mean, the entire show starts around these sort of high school students going through and, and even into sort of their, their college navigation processes and all of these things. Um, what does it mean to be the, the students in the classroom or on campus or in your high school that folks look up to? And what is the responsibility related to that? Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I, I would guess, I would guess there are a lot of lessons in that that are going to tie in exactly with what we're about to talk about, about student activists, right? Absolutely. And very, very interesting. Uh, Georgiana, what about you? Yeah, so um, that gave me a little bit of time to think. Um, I We're big Walking Dead fans oh. in my house. Um, and and we we got into it maybe around the fourth season and then um, binge watched it before the, uh, fourth season started. And so we're, we're kind of diehard, um, and it's filmed here in Georgia. So, um, we, we, you know, we've been to the different sites and whatnot. Um, but that show from start to where it is now, I mean, it is a fascinating look at leadership. 
Um, just the various roles that people take on, um, how various characters um, exert their power or use the various forms of power that they have, um, who's considered a leader and who isn't. Um, it's, I mean, there's some really interesting stuff, right? There are positional leaders. They're folks who, you know, maybe aren't seen as, as leaders in one season, but then they sort of have this character transformation yeah. and they, you know, maybe through servant leadership, they've taken on a broader role and then they sort of become a positional leader. So, I mean, there's just, there's a lot in that show. Um, and I, I forget, we're on eight seasons, nine, I forget what season we're on, but, um, you know, it's several years now <laughs> worth mm -hmm. of material. Uh, so there's some, some pretty rich stuff there. Um, the other thing I'm reading right now, I, I've read excerpts from this book, um, but right now I'm reading Mindset by Carol Dweck, and I know a lot of professionals have used that in sort of professional book club kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, but, but just looking at the ideas of um, having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset um, and, and what that means, like she, the author talks about it a lot in terms of education, um, mostly prior to higher ed, although there's a little bit of that. Um, and, but I'm sort of thinking about it in terms of um, leadership and how we lead institutions. Um, how faculty lead in their roles. So it's, that's been a very eye-opening book as well, just thinking about those two different types of mindsets and how folks um, um, might grow into a growth mindset. Hmm. You know, like maybe if your natural inclination is a fixed mindset, how you might grow into that. Um, so yeah, those are, that's really what I, where I think I'm drawing my insights these days. Well, that's that's good to know. If I, you know, to be honest, I had kind of given up on The Walking Dead a couple of seasons ago. They got uh, no, <laughs> so, but maybe maybe I'll have to come back to it. And, and it's gotten awfully depressing, which makes sense, of course. But um, it, it's like, boy, yeah, it's definitely not full of sunshines and rainbows. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's that's good to know. And I, I think you're right. If we if we're coming from it from a leadership mindset, there are good lessons. Um, and obviously great connections between this idea of growth mindset and even, you know, we talk about moving somebody from an idea of positional leadership to sort of anybody has this potential for leadership. Uh, there's definitely applications there. So now I want to, let's, let's really get into the meat of this, of this issue about leadership learning through activism. Uh, this issue of new directions for student leadership has lots of great content both about how we understand leadership development through student activism and and then how we promote it and how we build that within our students but i think there's there's an overarching theme that i picked up in about reframing how we think about student activism and how we think about student activists and so start off tell us what you think institutionally as a field, we tend to get wrong about student activists and activism. Uh, I can start with that. Um, uh, I, I, I think one of the things I think we get wrong, um, it, I think in understanding that they're not just disgruntled students who need to be managed. Mm. And, and I put managed in air quotes. Um, you know, I, I think more often than not, um, if students are speaking out about issues or practices on our campuses, uh, it's probably because they see an injustice. Um, so they're recognizing that, that something, something's off. Um, and many times I think that that can be identity based. Mm -hmm. Um, and there might be identity based implications that as administrators and professionals, we might not be thinking about it. You know, it might just not not cross our mind. Um, and yeah, I mean, they might be disgruntled. They may be angry, <laughs> uh, but but they might have a good reason to be so. You know, um, and I think it's our duty to listen and uh, to respond accordingly. Um, also, I think we're we we talk a lot in the field about teachable moments. Mm. Um, you know, in education broadly, but 
particularly in student affairs. Um, and, and sometimes I think teachable moments will pop up um, when we're working with student activists. And, and I think as professionals, um, we need to make sure that our efforts to bring about a teachable moment don't also coincide or conflict with a student's identity being marginalized. And, and I think that's a difficult balance to strike, um, you know, but being aware that like both of these things might exist at the same time. I think that's an important thing to, to be aware of. Um, we, we talk a lot about the both and, right, that, that both things, we might hold both things simultaneously. It's not either or, it's a both and. Um, you know, and I, I can think of an example, right? If you're, um, if, if you're trying to educate a student, if you're trying to educate a student about a policy and the rationale for that policy, that might be a teachable moment, right? But that teachable moment doesn't mean that the student feels any less marginalized, right? So I think as professionals, just being able to, to hold that complexity and sit with that complexity, right? That both of those things might exist at the same time. Absolutely. I think one of the things I thought was interesting is, is thinking about student advocates really as, or student activists really as advocates for the campus, right? They, this activism is coming from a place of genuinely wanting to see things better and wanting the campus and, and, and the environment to be its best possible place. And I thought that was a really interesting reframing of this idea. I would add, um, <laughs> I, I think one of the things we get wrong is constantly sending student activists to offices that are often understaffed and under-resourced. Mm. And that means that we're missing out on some real opportunities for not only taking students' opinions into consideration as we're thinking about shifts and changes within our institutions, but we're also missing opportunities to meaningfully engage the offices and people on campus that they are most connected to and, and to get answers without having folks exert additional labor when there are people on campus who probably already know what students are feeling before things bubble into a situation where there's uh, mm. a very visible form of activism happening on campus, like a protest or a sit-in or a hashtag or a video that's gone viral. There are people on campus who have told you that was coming three months beforehand, right? Yeah, and so how do we think about finding the folks on campus who, one, already know that's happening and going to happen, and two, are most connected with those students? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. There, There is a real... Um, theme and, and need when we're talking about elevating voices and, and, and who's getting to have kind of the say in these in, in these opportunities of making sure that we're the folks who know the student voices are having a, their chance to influence policies and conversations and that we're listening to the folks on our campuses who are our experts on our students. That's a really important thing that we need to make sure we're paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You also, in this issue, draw a connection between a student's activism and their sense of belonging. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about what that looks like and, and how that manifests for students? I can go ahead and start with that. So when I think about a lot of the most recent campus protests that have been highly visible, uh, be they ones that were covered in the Chronicle or whatever the case may be, most of those students activists were concerned with making their campus environment safer and more equitable for them and for people who look like them or who experience the uh, campus culture like them. And so for students who want to feel more like they're a part of the university or the college in question, it's important that we think about how they're engaging in activism because how we respond to them might dictate retention, that might dictate future incoming students' ability to look at um, our institution as a place that is committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion, or is committed to uh, supporting varying voices and disparate voices on campus. And part of that sense of belonging is, do I feel safe and confident that 
I won't experience institutional betrayal or my campus sort of invalidating what I'm saying I'm experiencing here or will my institution make a concerted effort to listen to what it is that I'm saying? Hmm. And now that I've done all of this and I've engaged in all this work as a student activist and now I'm exhausted, but I also have to be a student, right? Because the, the piece of student activism is you're a student first. Yeah. Do I have folks on campus who are also going to support me? And so if the administration sees me as a problem, if I'm a student activist or I'm the person who's the trouble kid and I'm being pushed out, then maybe I feel like I no longer belong here, you know, socially. Now I feel like I don't belong here academically. And so how do we think about our overall retention goals, our goals of educating the whole student, particularly from a student affairs perspective, if we really think about the student personnel point of view and how are we developing students as whole people and having them and helping them to make meaningful connections. I think those things are completely intertwined. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, feeling an injustice, it's marginalizing, mm. right? And I mean, it, and, and that's usually where activism is coming from, right? That there's this, like Brittany said, this feeling of an injustice, whether it's locally on campus or nationally. Um, so, you know, you add that feeling to the already challenging feelings associated with college, right? Particularly for traditionally aged college students. And if you don't see others like you who also are feeling that injustice or if the way administrators are responding to you further marginalizes, that can be isolating, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Absolutely. Brittany, I'm interested, you talked about sort of your aha moment, starting with your experience as a, as a student activist, but then sort of translating through your experience as a career counselor, talking about these competencies that you saw coming out for student activism. and, and that's a that's an interesting key theme that I think is emerging from from the work that you all have done. These very real leadership competencies that students are gaining through their activism. So, walk us through the leadership touch points that you would see, let's say, in a student organizing a, a protest, for example. What sorts of transferable skills and leadership competencies are they gaining from that activism? Absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, for me, I would I would often say, you know some things related to social justice and equity, right? So within every activist movement, you're going to have people who have multiple intersecting identities. And so how are folks learning to engage with folks, one, who have the identity that the activism issue is about, but also are experiencing that environment differently or, or whatever the issue is differently because of the other identities that they hold. Uh, being able to critically think and, and to seriously problem solve and say, okay, this is what the problem is. Here's an outcome we would like. What are some steps that we can tangibly suggest to help us get there? So we think about when students make lists of demands, those are almost always filled with things that an institution absolutely cannot fix in a semester. But then there's always things that an institution can fix in a semester, right? And so how are they strategically thinking about how do you sort of pad your list of demands with things that you know are completely outlandish, but really your goal were the other things on the list. And because next to one another, they look more reasonable, the <laughs> institution might actually give you that. And so students being able, and, and this is something that I absolutely use in my own activism engagement, right? So how am I able to say, okay, I know I asked you for this completely absurd thing, that for me coming out of a small liberal arts institution that did not have a huge endowment, I know that you can't give me, you know, 20 black faculty in a semester, right? Mm -hmm. But I also want more funding for the cultural center. So you can give me that. And I also want to see more opportunities for student leaders uh, who are students of color to engage with the board of trustees, right? And so we're seeing that. And so talking through my own students as a career counselor, thinking about how are you developing sort of intercultural competence? How are you really developing oral and written communication? I know a lot of times we think about Twitter and social media as these things where it's, oh, you just type something in and you do it. But people have paid very hefty prices for not adequately thinking about their digital branding and their social media messaging, right? And so now we're dealing with a group of students who know the real gravity of written and oral communication and teamwork and all of these things. And, and not only how you develop your communication strategies and plans, but how might that be received differently by different people? And how do you preemptively have, have an answer or a solution or an idea of what you're going to do about that? Those are, are sort of next level thinking skills that I don't think we give a lot of student activists enough credit for. 
Well, absolutely. I mean, these are very deep, uh, complex leadership competencies that that we're hoping that students are navigating through and, and gaining through this experience. And you're right, those are huge transferable skills that people will take with them in their in, throughout their entire careers, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. They really are. And, and, and I think there, there are a couple of roads we could go down, you know, I think, you know, it could be some student activists will get these because of maybe their own intrinsic um, qualities or maybe the major they're in um, or some other training that they've had. Maybe they've been part of other leadership uh, education efforts. But but I think a road that, that sometimes happens is that it's sort of hit or miss, you know, and, and I think a lot of where we're coming at with this issue um, is that it doesn't have to be hit or miss, right? And, and that there are certainly things that um, not just leadership educators, but professionals on campus across a number of functional areas can be doing um, to help students get some of these transferable skills and competencies through their activist efforts. Absolutely. And that's something that I think we should always be doing as leadership educators is looking for ways to help students reflect on their experiences, circle back, and really make that meaning from the experiences they've had and talk through how those become those competencies and those transferable skills we want them to have. Absolutely. In the introductory article for the issue, you talk a lot about uh, online activism, which is a, you know, I'll, I'll say emerging, but has really been on the scene for a while. This phenomenon that ranges from the very basics of like slacktivism to the Parkland students, the Me Too movements. Uh, Brittany, I know you're super engaged with this. So how do we help develop students' digital leadership through activism? I would say the first step is realizing that we are now beginning to see students on our campus and, and students who are entering our campuses who cannot imagine a world without cell phones and technology, right? Yeah. And so realizing that, one, those students are coming in with a very different perspective of what internet engagement looks like, of what technology looks like, of what sort of, of, of a digital movement might look like because it's been such a part of their identity and their sort of growing up process. And so it's important for us as student affairs educators to one, realize that piece, right? And then two, think about how do we have meaningful conversations around uh, social and cultural competence in a digital age? So there's a lot of discussion, particularly in media studies, uh, which I would say is very related to student affairs, but sort of a cousin field for me as a student affairs educator. They're talking a lot about things like digital blackface and how students are using online platforms and where uh, digital platforms are becoming the first place that they experience dissonance or disruption of their ideas because we're living in spaces where we have homogenous communities, but the internet is making it where your opinions and your ideas can be seen by everyone. And so now you're no longer validated in sort of this safe and comfortable space, but there are other people who can find what you've said and who can, who can say something about it. And, and really thinking about the ramifications of what that means. So there's been a lot of discussion in the last few weeks about Harvard rescinding a student's admission for use of the N-word. And so even thinking through that sort of age-old conversation of I may not agree with what you say, I'll defend to the death your right to say it. And remember, you only have freedom of consequence from the U.S. government, not a private entity. And so talking to students about sort of how they engage online platforms and what that means for their future, what that means for their career decisions, uh, what are the real implications of online platforms as this sort of thing that's been an everyday, whatever, it's not that serious thing for them, but has very real tangible impacts on the lives of others, on their own lives. So I, I think that development looks like something that's ongoing. I think it's something that a lot of us are still figuring out, right? I, <laughs> technology changes so quickly. Mm. So it's hard to really say there's this one way that we need to develop students around uh, being leaders in, in sort of the digital age. But for me, that looks like starting with meaningful conversations around the ramifications of words. I was raised to know that words mean things. Mm. 
I realize not a lot of people share that same sort of idea. And so when we think about the idea that words mean things and your words can go from this to share it within my university community to now 3 million people across the globe have seen it. That's a very hard thing for a lot of people to grasp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, have a, I have a magnet on my fridge that I got from the museum in Washington, D.C. that says freedom of speech is not a license to be stupid. And that just like sticks mm. in the back of my mind anytime I'm mm-hmm. like, like tweeting something or post like that just, I, I always think about that. And, and I found mm-hmm. that to be a really meaningful uh, way. Just like you said, you get, you're not free from the consequences of the things that you say. And that's important for our students mm-hmm. to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thing that you talk about in this issue is moving things about social responsible leadership uh, and the social change model into some of these student organization spaces. Uh, so Jan- Georgiana, tell me a little bit about what that might look like. How can we provide uh, education specifically for students through their student organizational experience on these ideas of social responsible leadership and the social change model? Yeah. Um. Well, and, and to be clear, you know, there are a lot of institutions out there that are doing really great things with a social change model. Um, I think it's, it's been around for um, a while now. So I think we really in the field had an opportunity to um, work out some of the, the, the kinks and, and, you know, really get really put into practice some great things with it. Um, it so, so I don't, I certainly don't, wanted to um want anyone to perceive that that's not happening i i think the issue might be that it tends to only be happening with a a subset of folks who are identified as leaders right or like in leadership programming leadership education kinds of efforts and 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 sure there's there's often some overlap with um folks in student organizations but primarily those folks in in positional leadership types of position um, and and on, on many campuses students opt into leadership programming or leadership education or they're selected and it's you know sort of considered a selective kind of thing um, so so you've got that piece and then you've got that that these are the students who have sort of you know been elected or, or risen to these positional leadership positions but the social change model isn't isn't just about positional leadership it's about transformative leadership and so at at the heart of the social change model is this idea that really anyone can be a leader right anyone can work towards social change um and and there are all these these ways that that the model um identifies through the seven c's right Mm -hmm. um and and so so i think the the bigger issue is is not just having more of these types of programs but thinking about how we can get other members of student organizations besides beyond just the positional leadership folks um, to be part of these programs, right? Whether, you know, whether that's a required program or um, some other format, um, I just think it, I don't think it's about doing more. I think it's about doing what we're already doing, but a little bit differently. Absolutely. It's an, yeah, interesting. Mm. I think that's very true, this idea that so many, we'll, we talk about leadership not being a position, and yet so many times we're offering our best leadership development opportunities to students who are already in positions of leadership. And I think this gives us opportunities to, to reframe that and think about that differently. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Brittany, you had talked earlier about sort of the staff on our campuses and, and the faculty who are working most closely with students who might be engaged in activism um, and protests. And, and I think a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast are, are leadership educators, grad students, uh, folks who are really, really working to support students. Mm-hmm. And I think that can also be a challenge for folks as they are trying to balance their own roles, their own identities, uh, with supporting our students and, and developing student activists. So what advice would you give or, or, or thoughts would you have for folks who are 
kind of navigating these worlds of their own identity, mm -hmm. their own needs while supporting our students? Great question. Um, so I'll first say, <laughs> I don't have all the answers. Uh, and, and definitely acknowledge, right, that your mileage may vary by institution type, the resources available at your institution, sort of what are the dynamics on your campus. But one of the things that most immediately is, is salient and is significant for me is for practitioners to remember to take time for themselves, hmm. right? So for folks who are in the halls, if you're up all night, it's okay to take a few moments the next morning. Or uh, if you've dealt with a lot of student of concern and a lot of student uh, activism issues on your campus that were very heavy, uh, it's okay to take a moment during summer break to rest and reset so that you can come back as a practitioner who was able to support students in the previous year and you can do that better and stronger and, and, and as hard as you want to in the forthcoming semesters and school years, right? So realizing that it's okay to take a break, no one told me that, right, at the beginning of my, my student affairs career and being a first-generation college student, being a new practitioner, being someone who sort of become higher ed for life for lack of better language but not having a roadmap for what that means and what that looks like i didn't understand how to advocate for myself and that i could take my vacation days and that it's okay to take a mental health day and and uh. and spend some time worried about and focused on myself and so I, I think giving ourselves the license and agency to say it's okay to to move back a little bit and then you can re-enter the conversation or the situation as time may vary. In terms of, of supporting and developing students, think about what's available to you within your locus of control, right? So I can't always rage against the machine, so to speak. <laughs> that was a huge part of my identity in my early 20s, but now it's a little bit more about how are we thinking strategically and how am I using my positionality and my placement within an institution to support students. So if I'm working in student activities and I'm able to dole out funds, right, and I know that there's a student protest coming up, have I provided food for the students who might be engaging in that? Or am I making sure that they have water? Or have I made sure that, you know, campus police is aware that we know this is happening, that we're okay this is happening, and we want them to think about how they're engaging with those students themselves, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and how am I putting students in meetings with folks who may otherwise bypass them or, or not be able to engage with them? So how do I set a meeting with someone and whoops, I just showed up with two students, right? And so really being strategic with how we as practitioners and faculty and, and folks who support and love our campuses show up and use the resources that we do have at our disposal. Absolutely. I think one of the things also that, that I took from this issue is the responsibility really of everybody on our campus to be supporting uh, students who are mm -hmm. in activists. I mean, you know, there may be an office that these students sort of feel is, is a home for them on campus, but that doesn't absolve the rest mm -hmm. of us of responsibility to be supporting students through their leadership development and just kind of helping to shoulder some of that load, I think is really important. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and very often, very often that labor does fall on our identity-based uh, profession, identity-based cultural center professionals. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so I, I mean, I, I like what, what you're saying there about sharing sharing some of that load. I, I think another piece is, is finding um, for folks who who do have um, who do share a lot a heavier part of that labor for supporting activists. Finding allies among other professionals um, yeah. who who can be there to share that load. I, I think that's something we maybe need to give a little more thought to. Yeah. So for both of you, I, you know, kind of best case scenario is as this work, you know, really transforms the field and we all are understanding our ability to support students through their leadership development, through student activism. Uh, and we are really reframing how we think about these students as some of the best advocates for their campus. How, how will campuses change when we start to do that? We start thinking about student activists as student, as advocates for our campus who are developing in their leadership, how will our campuses look different in the way that we approach this work? That's a, that's a wonderful question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mean, change is slow <laughs> in any field, but it's super, super slow in higher ed. <laughs> um, 
you know, we, we can certainly look at, at how different higher ed looks now than it did in 1636. Um, but I got to tell you, there are probably some ways that, that it still looks similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so change is slow, but, you know, I, I think from a, I feel like this maybe sounds a little idealistic. So I try to push against that. But, but as we think about student activists as largely being students who are working to make our campuses, not just campuses, but our communities and our nation um, and the world in, in many instances, better not just for themselves but for the future right if we just isolate that to campuses um these are largely students who are trying to make campus better for future generations um and and i think if if we're looking at it with that mindset um that certainly changes how we how we meet those students um where they are developmentally um and i think that sort of that has the potential to lead us to transformative campus environment, right? Mm-hmm. If, if our campuses, if we talk a lot in student affairs about creating inclusive campus environments, and I think most of us, if we really took a hard look around our institutions, we'd find many, many ways that our campuses exclude more than they include. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think if we really started to reframe um, our relationships with student activists, um in the ways that that we talk about throughout this monograph um i think that would really start to transform our campuses and i think we'd start to see uh more inclusive campus spaces ditto <laughs> yes <laughs> mic drop <laughs> great so one last question for, for both of you, and it's the one I like to ask everybody that I have the opportunity to, to talk to. And you've done so much deep work thinking about leadership and activism, and it's so interesting. So now I want to know what's next for you all. What's the next question about leadership that you're thinking about? Uh, and Brittany, we'll go ahead and start with you. So I'm currently working on uh we'll we'll go with that although it's summer (laughs) a study looking at how student affairs practitioners are prepared to respond to to issues of student activism on campus right so we're all having conversations around how do we support and how do we encourage and how do we understand and how do we do all of these things and then my question is who prepared us to do any of this Uh, is that happening in our master's programs? Is that happening on the job? What does that look like? And so figuring out what that means, right? Because if the answer is most of the folks who are doing this work were themselves student activist leaders, then that might show some, some or reveal some important implications for, for what the disparities might look like in terms of who's doing the work of supporting student activists on campus. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What about you, uh, Georgina? That's cool, Brittany. I feel like we should talk. Um, <laughs> we already do talk. <laughs> um, one of one of the sort of next projects, and this is this is maybe in the in the year year and a half range. Um, one of the things I've I've observed in the field, um, both locally and nationally, is is sort of a, a disconnect um, between uh, how uh new professionals folks in the new professional range and we could maybe lump graduate students in with that as well grad students and new professionals how they think about uh responding to student activism um compared to how senior level administrators respond Mm -hmm. sort of of thinking about this this disconnect um you know, and, and you sort of see one side, you know, often the grad student new professional side that that's using language around systemic privilege and oppression and 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 supporting activism efforts as as a way to um, engage in liberatory practices. And then on sort of this other side, you you see a number of senior level administrators saying, um, okay, but your job is to do xyz and you need to not worry about those those other issues um and and so sort of seeing that that disconnect um 
you know, one group sees their role as advocate and then the other group doesn't not see their role as an advocate, but sees other roles as trumping the advocacy role. And so, you know, not really sure if that generational or if that just comes with, you know, 20 plus years of experience. Um, so sort of wondering what that disconnect is and where it is and, and where it occurs and, and where sort of um, where sort of the the balance of of um, creating inclusive spaces, protecting marginalized identities versus playing the the being responsive and strategic with the the political nuances of higher education and the reality of higher education. So where's sort of that middle ground as as a campus leader? Um, is there a middle ground? Mm. Um, so anyway, so some of those questions are in in formation. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you know you've got these two questions, and I have a feeling the answers to the two questions are going to really inform each other, right? Like the two things you're both thinking about. Absolutely. Really talk. I love asking this question because I get to talk with really smart people, raising questions, <laughs> talking about, and then look forward to an answer and like. I'm sure like a week and a half, two weeks, we'll have great right. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's definitely something interesting about what Jordana's talking about. If you look at the humans of higher ed chat situation that oh, happened man. in the last few weeks. Yep. Well, you know, I think with you too, Brittany, I mean, there's, there's people are learning mm -hmm. their own. Yep thought you know what place in the field and through the things that have happened with that so um i would love to get yep. those folks on the podcast and talk about all of that leadership that they are doing because lots of interesting work there so well mm -hmm. thank, you, thank you so much uh georgiana and, and Brittany. this has been such an interesting conversation a lot of great uh places to go from here uh, you can access the new directions of student leadership issue right now on uh, student activism and leadership well, thanks to everybody listening out there and joining us for the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASPA Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. You can get more information about the Knowledge Community on our various social media outlets. Uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash SALead, Twitter at NASPA SLPKC, and Instagram at NASPA underscore SLPKC. And you can also connect with all three of us on Twitter, and we'll put this on the podcast description. But I'm at John Mark Day. Dr. Martin is at GeoMartin29. Dr. Williams is at Dr. Britt Williams. And you can also uh, connect with her at BrittanyMWilliams.com. Uh, if you out there listening are interested in being a guest on the podcast, you have suggestions for topics we should be talking about or people we should be talking to, you can connect us with the Humans of Higher Ed folks. Uh, we want to hear from you. You can send us an email to naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Georgiana and Brittany, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a fantastic conversation. Thank you, John Mark. This was fun. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk with you next time.